Jesus is Lord. But I'm going to need to see those fucking starfish. Faith. Belief. Confidence. Trust. Are the differences between these attitudes simply a matter of semantics, temperament, and risk tolerance? Or is there more to it? I'm not entirely sure. But I'm prepared to argue, and by prepared I mean I'm just barely willing to argue, most of us are people of faith. And I don't mean just the explicitly religious either. Ponder the problem that the atheist, the science-based skeptic, the Baptist, the Hebrew scholar, and your run-of-the-mill nim-nuts who just wants to eat his porridge while it's still warm, all share the need to believe in things which they cannot fully comprehend. For example, consider the mathematically rock-solid yet physically impossible notion of infinity. Most people do not understand it. At least, I certainly don't. Yet, if you were to ask any of the aforementioned groups if the universe is infinite, and if so, how does infinity work? Unless they say, I don't know, they're operating on faith of a sort. And if you find yourself saying, but I don't need infinity to get along. The fact that you might believe this shows just how much faith you have in the many things which you use every day. Just take a moment to look up rigorous calculus and consider that without the infinity principle, we wouldn't have the understanding of electricity currently making possible this very communication. In other words, we all rely upon devices and principles we do not fully understand in order to function. And that might take more than belief. It might just take faith. Is it fair to say religious faith and the belief one has in, say, how a toaster works are different? The dictionary tells me it requires intellectual assent or a mental agreement in order to have belief in a thing. Toasters are real, they get hot enough to burn down a house, etc. But if you wholly commit to that thing without question and risk it all by using it, do you not have faith in it? I have no idea how this machine works, but I'll just drop in a couple of slices of bread and wait for them to pop out hot and crispy. No need to think about it, really. Boy, I like toast. Considering most of us are so completely in the dark about the framework upon which the modern world is built, Maintaining an intellectual assent for something which one fundamentally does not understand but continues to rely upon reads less like an abstract agreement and more like a wholehearted commitment or an act of faith. Obviously, I could be wrong, and many more before me have argued these points with greater insight and clarity. So why am I, a man of the nim nuts and warm porridge variety, talking about matters of faith while daring to invoke anything to do with calculus? Well, I'll bring them up for two reasons. For one, I just like thinking about these complex and confusing subjects. And two, I found myself especially compelled to think about them after I heard a brief snippet of a conversation while eavesdropping in the sand. It was late in the afternoon on a beach in southern Oregon. Low tide was fast approaching and people were making their way down from a parking lot to the shore, rounding the bend near a large cliff face and heading towards the edge of the beach. The crowd was mixed, families, single people with dogs, teenagers, and an assortment of couples not quite rivaling the variety of sea life and the tide pools they'd all come to see. I was sitting near the edge of the cliff base, facing the sun with my back against the rocks. It was a warm shelter from the sandblasting wind, a delightful spot to casually judge any and all passers-by. Hank Williams said, if you mind your own business, then you won't be mine and mine. Obviously, Hank Williams missed out on some great shit. 
I overheard plenty of snippets of conversations from my spot in the sun. One lady was complaining about people smoking pot on the beach. Then there was a relentless dad of three who had a running gag about teaching his kids the best way to ride a shark. But by far, the most interesting snippet came from a couple discussing their last visit to the tide pools on the previous day. I saw the two of them coming before I heard them. They were the sort of couple that looked like they might share clothes. Similar height, build, age, taste. Probably five foot seven, about 150 pounds each, early 50s, sporting a combination of jean shorts, t-shirts, tennis shoes, and ball caps. Actually, the lady was wearing a visor. Ugh. The man, who appeared to be on the quieter side, wore a plain gray shirt with a crew neck tucked into his shorts and pinched to a nearly perfect spherical tension around his belly, like he was trying to keep a small melon out of the sun. His shorts had seen some starch recently, while his shoes looked like they'd traveled many miles before this stroll. He seemed comfortable, relaxed, and untroubled by the sensation of sand between sock and shoe. His counterpart, a woman with graying hair bundled tight above the topless band of her white visor, seemed less comfortable, but otherwise identical. The chief difference was that her t-shirt featured two points of semi-spherical tension, like a couple of polished lemons under a cotton sheet, and the shirt carried a very specific message. In bold black letters underneath a large black cross which touched both lemons, it read, Jesus is Lord. When the couple made it within ten yards of my sandy toes, I could hear them. Well, you say I saw him, but I don't remember seeing him. You sure it was this beach? It was the woman posing this question to the man, indignant and demanding, yet ever so slightly playful. His reply was short, but not impatient or unkind. He simply said, Yep, yesterday, right here. They were in front of me when I heard her say, Hmm, I'm not sure I believe you. I'm going to need to see those darn starfish. The man, sanguine, resigned, unfazed, and confident in what was waiting for them in the tide pools beyond, replied simply, Okay. After they crossed my field of view and presented their backs, I saw the lady's shirt was not quite done with me, proclaiming, rather opaquely if you hadn't seen the front first, and even then it's still a bit conceptually fuzzy, he died for you. Big emphasis on the you. It was the briefest of encounters, one which may not seem like much to you, but I was wholeheartedly amused. I couldn't get the phrase out of my head. Well, of course Jesus is Lord, but I'm going to need to see those fucking starfish. For sure, she never said Jesus is Lord, and certainly didn't say fucking starfish. But her shirt did, and my heathen mind can't help but insert powerful and inappropriate words whenever possible. So that was my takeaway. And what a concept. I had to consider the scope and scale of the various leaps of faith this woman is both willing and unwilling to make. I can hear her saying, As a Christian, I have faith that the only way to be saved from the fires of hell is to believe that the Son of God himself is a Bronze Age Jewish guy called Jesus. His mom was a virgin, even after he was born. So while he was living on earth, Jesus was busy teaching philosophy to a dozen other guys. He healed some sick people, brought a dead old man back to life, and was really, really good at catering. So the holy dozen who were following him around, they sure were taking lots of notes and writing lots of letters. But most of them didn't get published in the big book. After a few years of miracles and preaching, Jesus got betrayed by one of the unpublished. And Jesus' dad, 
uh, omnipotent, all-powerful, and merciful God, you'll remember. Well, he knew it was going to happen, but didn't stop it because of his plan to work in mysterious ways. So he sacrificed his kid to be brutally murdered for all past, present, and future people so they might have eternal life in heaven, but only if they believe he died for them. I'm not real clear on how that helped the people who came before Jesus, but that doesn't bug me too much. Ha, be here now, right? Anyhow, after Jesus got killed, his disciples handed down their memoirs and letters to be interpreted by thousands of men for a couple thousand years. And now I can wear a super condensed version of their findings on a t-shirt made in a country where religion is pretty much illegal. But that very real thing you say I saw yesterday, fucking starfish, for that, I'm going to need some hard evidence. Now, obviously, I'm being a dick. But what good is it to casually judge people while basking in the glow of what I'm told are the sun's distant nuclear explosions if I can't have a good time doing it? Besides, these are the deconstructed tenets of the Christian faith, if not somewhat condescendingly retold. So what am I supposed to think here? Is it wrong to chuckle at this lady and her dichotomous belief structure? even if it offers more than the opportunity to pick apart the weirdness of religion and faith in general? I sure hope not. I mean, is it wrong to look into a funhouse mirror and laugh at my own distorted image? Metaphorically speaking, that funhouse mirror view is the best way for me to get a glimpse of my own conflicting beliefs and acts of faith. For instance, when I find myself chuckling at the visor lady, I'm reminded of my relationship with my telephone. I truly do not understand how it works. Yet I take it with me everywhere I go. It's basically a genital-adjacent supercomputer which can access the great literary works of nearly every writer who ever published a sentence, or provide me with at least some kind of answer to nearly any question I could ask of it. Yet more often than not, I use it to look at and take photos of the dog I'm already with. That, or I use it to help me efficiently go from being an idiot in one place to being an idiot somewhere else. No. As much as I'd like to be, I'm not much different from that incredulous and faithful lady. The real difference is that I'm not bold enough to announce my devotion on a shirt. So if you see me laughing at the gaps between her conflicting ideals, know that I'm crying on the inside of the galaxy separating my own. Fortunately, my faith tells me, it won't really matter in the end. you hear them laughing six 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 to you my friend won't you lend me your sweet ear did you know the game is rigged it's fixed with the numbers at six six yeah you know it's me don't you hear him calling a holy ghost? You hypnotize. Mm -hmm. I want you. I want you to know. 
you had your number six 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 it waits for you that dark black sound in your ears and kids you know the game is rigged it's fixed with the numbers at six six yeah you know it's me But can't you hear them screaming, Holy Ghost, hypnotize? Mm-hmm. I want you, I want you. Thanks for tuning in to the Raised by Whoops fake radio show. This is Glenn. Both Andrew and I are grateful for your time and attention. If you enjoyed that story, we'd appreciate if you could tell your friends, family, or even a few strangers about the show. Additionally, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. If you have a short story you'd like us to tell, or even some music you'd like to share, you can reach out via the website raisedbywhoops.com. We're glad to have you with us. Until next time, thanks, 
Take care.